We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 30th day of September, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and somewhere between iconic and psychotic, the fan favorite, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm I'm very well. I'm suffering minor internet in interruptions, so forgive me if I cut off. Uh, I do apologize to the listener and to you two guys. How are you? I am just fine. Uh, you're forgiven in advance, and I uh, uh, I have to say that well, you've been having issues all day, and I, I think it's I think it's man-made climate change that's causing that problem. I'm just I'm speculating, of course. I personally think it's a cyber attack from the Isle of Man. <laughs> you think it's David Icke? That's where he lives, you know. Yeah, the, or no, Isle of uh, Wight. He lives the, no, on the Isle of Wight. He's on the Isle of Wight. No, this this is the Isle of Man. Who are very jealous of the Isle of Wight because I it's actually, warmer here. I heard, I heard that you could take everybody in the world and put them on the Isle of Wight. Uh, yes, you could, with something like a meter around each person as well. It's fantastic so that, knowledge. That I don't know why. Into, I don't know why I know that, but yeah, that puts things. Oh, I probably told you, bored you with it one day. <laughs> Possibly, yeah, um, yeah. Um, but that puts things into perspective, doesn't it? If um, anyone would care to look on on a global map and find the Isle of Wight um, and see how small it is and then realize that you could get every living human on that tiny, tiny island um, with a meter around each person. It does put things into perspective. Bruce, how are you today? Healthy and alive. And uh, my condolences to the internet problems you're having. I struggled with that for years and I know the pain. Yeah, I thought I had it fixed. It was working beautifully up till today, really. I take full responsibility. Uh, it's my fault because I had you do unorthodox things today in order to take part in a project for the weekend. So um, I, I blame myself. Well, that's that's very kind of you. But I'm, like I say, I think it's the other man. All right. So moving right along uh, without wasting any more time because of your uh, uh, your technical issues this evening that are beyond your control. Uh, what's been on your mind? You've been listening to us this week. Uh, where would you like to start? I've got a kind of internal uh, narrative and this week's theme is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Some of the things that we've got work. And just because um, we need change, as much as we're having change forced upon us, um, some of the things we need to keep. And um, there was uh, some of the things that um, Alan Watt said in in the clips that you played um, yesterday. I think you posted it or the day before. Day before, yeah. We'll start with that. If we look at education, when young children play and when all young mammals play, it's actually designed to get them ready for their role as an adult human or as a mature animal. So there's a lot of play fighting. There's a lot of um, uh, dominance 
games. Who Who's the biggest? Who's the best? And it's all about finding your place in the world. That's been largely discouraged now because no one's allowed to be dominant. No one's allowed to be an alpha male. Uh, and everyone gets a certificate for attendance rather than anything for achievement. And Alan was talking about his first day at school, how he went into the classroom and was told that we're all going to sit down now and clap hands. And he thought, sod that for a game of soldiers. That's ridiculous. I've never done that before. And he walked out of school within 15 minutes of being there. Well, one, I've got to applaud him at that tender age of four and a half or maybe five for having such a a mind as to know that this isn't right for me and to walk. But at the same time, within, you know, infant school education, within primary education, you start to learn how to work as part of the whole and not just be the individual. And albeit rather naively, I think that was what that teacher's aim was, to get everyone together clapping so that they had a sense of being a class, a being a group. And yeah, groupthink and all the rest of it is how we get manipulated. But at the same time, in the various jobs that I've had throughout my 56 years, you need to know how to work as a team. You need to know how to fit in. You need to know how to be part of something Otherwise, it just doesn't work and you become a burden. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater in that particular case. Uh, it's just something I wanted to to mention. What do you guys think? Do you think I'm, I'm way off the mark there? or I, I don't think you're way off the mark, uh, but I, I mean, I... I, I guess I, I relate it to uh, to my own personal experience, and the only reason I do that is because I remember growing up as a kid. You know, I, I was going through the um, uh, the school system and and everything. I was as everybody did, and I mean, I, I believed in the the team player thing, right? I mean, I was active in sports when I was a kid. Uh, I was uh, I was in the Boy Scouts, well, Cub Scouts first, and then in the uh, in the Boy Scouts later on before it turned into this horrible monstrosity of an organization. Now it's just been ruined, but. I understand the, the teamwork aspect, but in school, it was something different. In, in the institutions, it was something different for me. I always felt as though I was, um, and this is not, a, a, this is not a, a disrespectful mark towards the teachers that I had. I like to think that I had pretty decent teachers, uh, all things considered. However, none of the subjects that I was, uh, that I was taught ever interested me. None of it ever interested me because of, uh, and maybe it's the way that Bruce was talking about, because of the presentation. It just seemed completely menial and pointless to me, as in it didn't challenge me. It didn't explain anything to me. It was just, this is how things are going to be because this is what you need to learn. And you know what? Every single thing that I was taught, that I was challenging in the institutions, in, in the educational institutions, everything that I was taught, that I was challenging, that no one could explain to me, I've never used. I've never used any of it. I, I had a, a bit of an argument with a teacher on a parent teacher's evening um, who complained that my child kept asking, why have I got to learn this? Why have I got to learn this? And the subject he was teaching was geography. And I said, well, why does he have to learn geography? And, he's, and, and the guy was stumped. And I said, if you can't answer me that one question, you shouldn't be teaching it. The problem doesn't lie with the child. It lies with you, my friend, because you can't explain why it's a useful thing. You haven't uh, drummed up the interest in the subject. As you know, I work in the field of training now, and the standard lesson plan starts off with interest. It starts off with uh 
interest, uh, and then it goes on to the aims, and there's an acronym, um, not an, an acronym, an acronym, intro, and for the life of me, and I really should, but it's been a while since I've designed any training. I, I mainly do analysis now. But the, the first letter of that acronym is for interest. And you have to tell the individual why they need to know how to do something or understand a subject. And if you can't do that, you should not be instructing it or teaching it. Simple as that. That right there would have been immensely beneficial to me in school if they would have just explained, this is why you need to learn this. Every every time that I go in and learn something uh, from someone, or uh, that's usually how they started. This is why you need to know it. Or it's because I'm searching for the information myself and I need the info. So I already have a foundation point of this is why I need it. You know, I, I like I said, I I can't say that everything that I uh, that I was taught in the uh, in these uh, educational institutions, I can't say it was a total loss. I mean, I learned how to read, write, comprehend, do basic mathematics, and and all that stuff. I did learn that stuff. That stuff has been uh, invaluable. I mean, th- those basic skills, but those are basic skills. You don't need to go to fifteen years of of schooling to learn that. You don't need that. But all these other things, like the the basic sciences, okay, fine. You don't need to put that into textbooks that, that basically tell you nothing. The textbooks didn't really teach me anything. As a matter of fact, I thought it was just a pain to carry them around. Like I said, I didn't learn anything from them. I can go back and I can look at them now and I can think, my God, there's nothing in this book. There's, no, there's nothing in this book. All the stuff that we were uh, that we were taught about history, I hated history in school. I hated it. I couldn't stand it. But they didn't teach I'm, I'm anything. Gonna, I'm yeah, going to have to interrupt you there. Go ahead. Because yeah. you, what's your opinion of history now? You love it. You lap it up. It. You're like a history sponge. I've said it before, and I've, I'll say it again. Education is wasted on the young. Until you know what you want out of life, and a lot of us don't come to that until we're quite quite well on in years, then knowing what you really want to learn, which is what you are going to grasp hold of and, and consume, is a mystery to us up to a certain age. But why do we learn history in schools? Can you tell me that? And I'm honestly, not trying to trick I, you. No, no, no. Very honestly, simple answer. The only reason that I give the answer I'm about to give is because of my own experience on how I see things now. Because I look at what I've learned on my own, and then I look at what I was taught in school, in education. Why are we taught what we're taught in school? And I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. I, I wish I could answer that question because... I was taught the Second World War. Let's just take the Second World War. Everybody knows it, obviously. That's a that's a, a massive focal point in modern history. Everybody knows the Second World War. Do you know what I learned about the Second World War that I took away from my time in school? It was, there's a guy here who killed a whole bunch of people because of their religion. Moving on. Oh, and we dropped a bomb. That's what I learned about the Second World War. And it was it was literally like a, a chapter or two in a book. How on yeah. earth can you quantify what happened during that time with that? Yeah, you can't. Well, you you can't because you're not given all of the facts. They weren't presented into it in a way in which you could use them. Sorry, Bruce. Uh, I know you wanted to say something there, but the reason we learn history in schools today is it teaches you how to use analytical skills. You look at a set of circumstances. And you then get told what the outcome is. And so, therefore, it gives you an experience that was way back in history. Forgive the double use of the word, but it was way back in history, but is applicable to 
today. And so it teaches people how to analyse. And as much as we would probably sort of dismiss the idea, when we're sitting around here just chewing the fat, talking about stuff, trying to solutionize, we're using those analytical skills and we are also philosophizing. It's almost like it's a history and philosophy exercise that we're conducting each time. And I was like you, Johnny, I didn't particularly find history very interesting the way it was taught to me at school. I've come to love it and enjoy it since. How about you, Bruce? So history, uh, okay, the, the, the way history was taught and the way it's being taught, at least here now in the States, the, the way you're describing, I agree, that was at one point that that was the intention, if not uh, learning some of the facts as well. Nowadays, uh, as since we're using World War II as the example, we're not so much taught about who Hitler is. You can go on a man on the street and ask an American who's Hitler. Uh, they don't know. They don't know who Hitler is. But they do know that we use nuclear bombs on Japan. They, they don't know that yeah. much. It's a very negative light on what, what America's done. It's a very negative uh, towards America. Um, so it may, it, it may very well still teach analytical still skills, but it's analytical in a certain way. Uh, and, you know, obviously reading comprehension and, and those kind of things as well, because you, you had to read, uh, uh, you know, the, the certain chapter or whatever that was part of your homework, at least when I was in school, you, you had to read about it. So yeah. Well, it's 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 a a double win, really, because you have to read it. So you're increasing your vocabulary, you're improving your grammar, and you are learning facts about history. But then what you should be doing is putting those facts together and actually really analysing the situation and working out what really happened. I saw a clip today of Tom Hanks talking about learning history at school. And it wasn't until maybe a couple of days ago, previous to whenever he recorded the clip, that he found out about the Tulsa massacre, about yeah. the the, yeah. the burning down of, of of Black Wall Street, yeah, and and the whole community being removed and taken out from uh, from the city and and basically made homeless. He was only just finding out about that then. So I agree with you that one of the functions that the leftist infiltrators into our education system, not just yours, but mine as well, have done is to indoctrinate, to paint your country, my country in the worst possible light. So it is being used. It's being uh, manipulated for an outcome that wasn't the original intention of learning that particular subject. But, and of and course, sorry, after you. Uh, just to clarify, I did somewhat laugh or chuckle at uh, at that. It's not because of the history of what happened, but because of the fact that that is, it's not fair because I living in Oklahoma, we, we know about this, but I, I just found it somewhat comical that someone many years older than me who supposedly likes to be well-read on this kind of stuff or, or you know, views themselves as being more intelligent didn't know this fact. This is something that like, especially for people on the, the, the left that claim to be so much for these groups, this is something that you should very well know because it's something that they throw at, or I expect to be thrown at us more as white uh, Americans. 
And I've got to yeah. say that I didn't know about it until probably maybe seven years ago when in a discussion with Johnny, he told me about it. And, you know, that opened my eyes as well. At the same time, the UK's or rather England's history with Jews isn't what we would hope it. We have been led to believe it was. We were the great saviours and stopped the Nazis during Second World War, along with some American help. Obviously, it was two years later than expected, but thanks. And, And with help from the Soviet Union. But in the Middle Ages, Jews were persecuted. They were rounded up into castles. Oh, it it goes it goes way back. But here here in the UK, you can go back to the Egyptian Empire. I mean, they were like even yeah, but specifically about the UK is what we're oh okay referencing here. I'm sorry, I stepped away for a minute. My apologies. But in the in the 1300s, um, Jews were persecuted. They weren't allowed to own property, which meant all the money that they made from uh, being good artificers. Uh, and uh, and craftsmen, the only thing that they could do with it was use it to lend people. They they had to rent their accommodation. They had to, um, you know, they couldn't own land. They couldn't farm. So they, they amassed money because they were silversmiths. They were blacksmiths. They they were all kinds of, of craftsmen. And then the term for lending money was changed to usury and it comes is its derivative is from the word jew uh, and and so they were given a bad press uh, and it was through persecution through religion through the idea that they were christ killers that they were persecuted uh, and so that part of our history wasn't revealed to me until i found out for it myself by looking deeper into it because at the end of the day history is always written or the history books are written by the victors, by the people who come out on the top of a bad situation, not by those who have a bad situation forced upon them. So, there, yeah, I think we've covered that that part of it. The reason why we should learn things should be made obvious to us by the teacher or the instructor. Otherwise, people aren't open to it. They they need to be, you know, made interested. They they need to have that pointed out to them and it helps the learning process. You know, I, I think it also has a lot to do with uh, with the curriculum. Maybe we can kind of segue here, but I don't want to spend any more time on this, but the structure of our educational systems, as in in the West, I'm not specifically talking about the United States here, but if you look at the UK, countries of mainland Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, these countries, our systems are near the same, as in the structure of them. They're near the same. They don't differ too much. But I've actually heard uh, experts on uh, the former Soviet Union talk about how our modern education system, as in like the last 100 years, the system that we have, the structure of it, is not actually our own. We don't know why we're using someone else's. The original form of our educational systems and our educational um, uh, institutions in the West were very much different than what they are now. The reason that we have uh, education the way that it is now is because we got our educational structure from Russia, and we don't know why. And we don't know what that structure is to include. The original documents are still in the Kremlin, and they've never been translated into English, and no one is allowed to see them. I bet you didn't know that, did you? No, I, I didn't know it, but it's not really all that surprising because in terms of civilization and who got the most civilized first, 
it certainly wasn't us in the UK and it certainly wasn't you in the United States. So these overall curriculums, these basis, these these foundation blocks of a curriculum have been passed on. I mean, here in the UK, we, people used to learn Latin at grammar school, even up to possibly 50 years ago. Latin was still taught as part of the grammar school education because the grammar school boys, which is still a state education, not the private schools where they, they continue to learn Latin, um, were expecting to go on to university. They might become a lawyer, they might become a doctor, and therefore knowing Latin was a useful tool. And it also teaches you about your own language. It teaches you the derivation of words and how they fit together and, and good grammar. Hence, it was why it was called a grammar school. So where our curriculum comes from right now is what the job market needed 20 years ago. I mentioned this the other day in the podcast. The curriculum is always lagging behind industry and the and the job market. And until that properly catches up, we're always going to have this problem. Like I said, theme is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. It may well be a Russian-imposed thing, but it could have come from Imperial Russia and not from Soviet Russia. That is true. Uh, and, However, I would I would argue it probably came from Bolshevik Russia, in just my opinion. It was brought by the Bolsheviks and by yeah. the people that they sent across in the 50s to subvert, or the, yes. the end of the 40s and the 50s, to subvert yes. our education system. And it, it, we were being attacked from all angles in that Cold War. Even our, you know, our, our universities are run alive with communists. And as you mentioned, the, the guy that you've got a great deal of time for, who used to uh, debrief uh, the... the um, Defectors and, yeah. De defectors, defectors, yeah. Made his mind up that we were being screwed over when he was told he had to become a communist to be a university lecturer. Yeah. So there are still parts of the, of the curriculum we need. But one of the things that I noticed when bringing my kids up uh, and trying to help them with homework... And I know Ned goes through this all the time. We've had exactly the same experience is that we were taught inside mathematics, not maths or math, it's mathematics, <laughs> certain ways of solving a problem. And when my kids came home with homework to do with maths and they wanted my help, I showed them how to do something. And they went, no, no, that's not how we do it. And it turns out that from me leaving school to my kids going through school, They've changed the way we solve mathematical problems. Why have they done that? If it was good enough for me and it's the same mathematical problem, why do we suddenly need to learn another way? They've come up with excuses or reasons like, oh, it's how they use number chains. This speeds up the process of understanding how the numbers come about and so on. I actually just think it's driven a wedge between parent and child so that the teacher is the only one that they can turn to and not the parent. And that was part of your discussion the other night as well, wasn't it? Yeah. And that's that's one of the things that the institutions have been, uh, that, well, the schools really, they've been teaching and the teachers have been teaching the students, don't listen to your parents. 
you can do all this on your own. You can you can think for yourself. You can which in the meantime they're indoctrinating them into the whole wokeness and what you know woke ideology and all that stuff. You don't have to listen to your parents about what gender to be. You don't have to listen to your parents about whether or not you can look at, at pornographic material. We can show you all that stuff. And don't tell your parents that you're being taught all this stuff. And if they ask you, just deny it. It's exactly what you're talking about. It's literally it's driving that wedge and it's it's making that break in between the state and the family unit. They need to break the family unit. And so when you do that, the state becomes your family. It was the same thing with the uh, the feminist movement with the Rockefeller Foundation back in the turn of the, uh, uh, the 20th century. They said, look, if you follow women's emancipation, this was their idea. You break up the family. When you break up the family, then you have fatherless children. There's no man in the house. The wife is not married. And therefore, the state becomes your family. The, yeah. the, the state becomes the husband. And then, of course, when that happens, and this was another part that was instrumental in the rise of, uh, uh, of fascism in Germany with Hitler. He was the figure. He was the father figure, right? He was the father figure of the state because that's what they look up to. So Yeah, you, well, it's called it, the fatherland. Well, yeah, but it wasn't that, I mean, that's the still, motherland. The Russians called it the motherland, the Russians, yeah. but and, it was, and, but it was that it was that way, and the way that they it was done the same way, and the way that they could get the family unit involved in the state like that was first you get the women, then you get the children, so we'll follow the men. It's the same concept. Yeah, but on that note, while I've been working during the week, uh, I've had this this notepad in front of me. Uh, I described to you earlier on about the notepad. We, we, we won't trouble the listen, listeners with who sponsored this notepad, but it is quite amusing. At the top of uh, of the page, I've got Bruce, sexist, question mark. <laughs> and you don't need me to apologise for you. However, I'm going to say the way you expressed it was unguarded language, where you said, I'm old school, I, I'm, I'm what you would be considered as a sexist and i would say no you're not a sexist what you are is nostalgic for the way it should be the way it it was for your upbringing i think you were lucky enough to have that kind of stable upbringing i certainly despite being the the child of a single parent uh, i was brought up within a home by my grandparents by my grandmother my grandfather my aunties my uncles and my mother was on the scene as well and that was my support network and very much still is. And I've recreated that support network for my offspring. And they don't need the state, thankfully, but so many other kids who haven't had that stable upbringing do need the state and they they haven't got that support network. I don't know what we can do about it other than every chance you get, someone who, who you recognise as not having those advantages give them to them, let them know that there's always someone there that can help and you don't have to turn to the state for, for everything, you know. But that winds back in to the education thing. Uh, I know you didn't want to spend too long on it, but my teachers, many of them actually fought in the Second World War. They were in their 50s and, you know, the male teachers, once I'd got the senior schools, in their 50s and 60s, just about to retire and... I know for a fact my history teacher was, uh, my geography teacher was, uh, my metalwork and technology teacher was uh, a veteran from the Second World War. And they were anti-fascist, but they were also anti-communist, funnily enough. They might have been Labour voters, but they weren't communist. It's almost like like we have the same 
type of a, of a belief system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and they all had the concept that they were there to get us ready for work because we were a, a secondary modern school in a in a in a rural town they weren't expecting too many of us to go to university but they they were expecting us to go into jobs or apprenticeships or, or those kind of things and my metalwork teacher he firmly believed we were all all the boys in his class because uh, there were no girls doing metalwork they weren't prevented from doing metalwork but there just weren't any who went for that option. So I did technical drawing and metalwork, and he was convinced all of us were going to go and get a job at Bolton and Paul in Norwich, who made, you know, machinery for the Navy, for the Army, for, um, you know, they, they made heavy machinery. In later life, I worked on some of that equipment on board ships, but that wasn't the path I took. So, but bless him, my metalwork teacher was convinced we were all going to go and work in that factory. And even today, it's still a bit of a sausage factory, as in pushing out the same standard so that universities and further further and higher education can then package that sausage. And that's that's what what's happening. Uh, you know, I, th- I think one of the biggest mistakes this country ever made was to stop people from going to into work uh, at the age of 16. Now you have to do a further two years of education after leaving school or go into an apprenticeship. There are not that many apprenticeships available. You know, one of the biggest things that we had that was, I mean, it really took off after the uh, the Second World War, like you were talking about, uh, was uh, trade schools in the United States. I mean, we had an economy to build. We had the world at our feet, basically, along with you guys. And we had pretty much free reign to build whatever we wanted, but we needed to train a massive workforce in order to have that next age of expansion that we didn't have prior to. And we're going to have to do that all over again, by the way, I might add, when all this is over. So we're going to need to train all these little uh, skinny jeans wearing iPhone, whatever, uh, tongue hanging out of your shoes, whatever. Your asses are going to get a crash course in how to actually build something. All those days of sitting around and whatever, you know, not showering for a couple of days and uh, and, and playing on your iPhone, those days are all coming to an end real soon, real soon. So assuming trade they make schools. It. Yeah, assuming they make it. You're right. Trade schools. I mean, trade the schools. Jab, these were, after all. The jab. Yeah, that's true. Trade schools. These were great schools. These were these were great schools. You actually had at 16, as you're talking about, uh, Marty, you could go at 16 years old and go to a trade school. If you didn't want to pursue the um, you know the whole university thing, you could go and you could learn about plumbing, carpentry, uh, farm work, diesel mechanics, auto repair, uh, welding. I uh, say plumbing, electricity, all, all that stuff. You could learn about all that stuff. Electricity. You could become an you know an electrician, and you were expected to go into the trade. You know the, the the actual trade that you studied. So when you turned 18 years old and you graduated school, you also had training. And you could go straight into being a tradesman, whatever that was, whatever you you decided that you wanted to take your last two years of school. Of course, you had to do the academic stuff. But as time went on, all of the academics, as in like the university, you know, churning out those people, all the academics went in and took over vocational education. And it's largely disappeared uh, in the U.S. I know there are still some places that do it, but uh, it's just not the same as what it used to be. And so now it's all about, well, uh, we're going to have more time focused on academics and less time learning about the trades. Well, then why are you even there? What, why are you there if that's the case? So it's been a, another thing that's that's been subverted. And I know, it, but like I said, we were wanting to move on, but um, 
Yeah, trade schools. I, I know that, um, and I've been wanting to talk about that for a long time, but uh, do you guys have anything like that at 16 years old? You can yeah, go to the trade yeah, schools? yeah, we do. I mean, the boys and girls at my school who weren't quite so academically able, they would go twice a week to King's Lynn, which from the little town where I, where I grew up in was about 40 miles, and they'd get bussed to Kings Lynn Technical College, where they would do courses in painting and decorating, bricklaying, and the the girls that weren't terribly academic did childcare. Uh, and and quite frankly, that that was that was okay, but that was still while they were under the age of sixteen. Thereafter, if they went on to one of the technical colleges, uh, indeed, I went to one of the technical colleges afterwards to learn electronics. That there you would receive like um, higher national diploma or higher national certificate qualifications, which are still level three, level four qualifications on the the national qualifications framework. And the University of East East Anglia, coming from Norfolk, uh, the the UEA as it is now, was actually an agricultural college. It taught people farming. It still does to some extent, but. It's now diversified, air quotes, uh, and you can probably do a, a degree in air guitar or transgender studies. That's a that's a real shame, Bruce. You got any comments on that before we uh, before we move on here? I want to get into uh, Nord Stream. Uh, I, I was just going to hit on uh, Marty. You pointing out that I was more nostalgic than uh, necessarily uh, sexist. Uh, just to clarify, that was me kind of being facetious under today's rules. Uh, of engagement, if you will. Uh, no, if you have a that. standard of that, you're you're considered sexist in today's world. Uh, yeah, but uh, and and I've spoken out in the past about uh, the number of females going into the armed forces. I support equality. I support diversity up to a point where it's necessary, but it shouldn't be enforced diversity but those things all come with consequences and people have to understand what the consequences are and the consequences are particularly with women in the armed forces is that there are less opportunities for young men and those young men used to get their discipline and their anchor in life and their direction from joining the army joining the navy joining the air force at least 50% fewer are now doing that because the jobs are taken by women and they don't necessarily want to go into the roles that were formerly traditionally female jobs. So where do they go? They go into gang culture, crime and benefits and basically become a burden on society. And that's a consequence of equality and diversity. So as long as we understand what those you know, being egalitarian and diverse means fine. So don't come whining to me about it. All our young men have lost their way. Uh, agreed. And I, I would uh, throw in there as well, uh, we're seeing numbers here in the United States, a uh, great decline when it comes to uh, men joining the military. Though those are reasons there, it's a little bit more expansive here in the United States. It's, it's also the... Um, the 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 principles they're pushing um they're push, pushing things like transgenderism and so on and so forth and when you come to those that normally fill the ranks uh for our uh military um they typically don't agree with those ideologies it, it's usually middle america 
more your conservative type, you know, they're patriotic and whatnot. They don't agree with those, um, the, the transgenderism, the trans, the, the whole, they just, they just, they just don't like any of that agenda that's coming out. And, uh, well now it's pedophilia. And so they're just not joining the military. The military doesn't support their ideology anymore, especially if you're a white Christian male. Now you, there's no reason for you to go into the military anymore, unfortunately in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and to a certain extent, it's happening here as well. Moving right along here, um, Marty, you saw what happened here with uh, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, yes? I've seen that there's been a massive drop in pressure. I haven't seen any footage of of explosions or oh, possible yeah. reasons. Well, we we surmised yesterday, and it was just a. I mean, when we were going on even further yesterday after we were uh, offline uh, discussing what it could be, and you know. We can talk about that now if you wish. But yes, there was an explosion. I do have a piece from Tucker Carlson that we can play if you like. However, it is a bit lengthy. It's about 10 minutes long. It's up to you whether or not you want to hear it. But it covers everything that we talked about yesterday and some. If you'd like to play it, if you think, uh, have the listeners already heard it or? No, no, they have not. And I thought he covered it pretty well. Well, let Tucker cover it and uh, we can sit back for a few minutes. Right, let's go ahead and get to that clip then. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, you hate to start a Tuesday evening on a grim note, but one of the environmental catastrophes, one of the great environmental catastrophes of our time is unfolding tonight off the coast of Denmark. The Nord Stream pipelines, which are enormous Russian-owned conduits that carry natural gas from Russia to Western Europe, have been breached. As we speak, Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 are pouring millions of cubic meters of natural gas into the Baltic Sea. Pictures from the air, which you can now see on your screen, show a toxic bubble field more than half a mile wide. You can only guess at how many marine mammals are being killed right now, countless. But the lasting damage may be to the atmosphere. Natural gas is comprised of up to 90% methane. Methane, as Joe Biden has often told you, is the key driver of global warming, which is, of course, an existential threat to humanity and the planet. So if you're worried about climate change, what just happened to the Nord Stream pipelines is as close to the apocalypse as we have ever come. So the question is, how did this happen? And it turns out it was not an accident. At the very same time that leaks in these pipelines were detected, Swedish officials recorded two powerful undersea explosions, each one of which was equivalent to hundreds of pounds of TNT. Nothing in nature can account for that. Almost immediately, the pipelines began leaking in three separate places. So there's only one explanation for what happened. This was an act of industrial terrorism. That was very obvious to the prime minister of Poland, and he wasted no time in saying so. Watch. Today, we are also dealing with an act of sabotage. We do not know the details of what happened yet, but we can clearly see that it is an act of sabotage, an act that probably marks the next stage in the escalation of the situation we are dealing with in Ukraine. We can clearly see, he said, this was an act of sabotage, an act of terrorism. Well, yes, we can see that. So the question is, who did it? And of course, the prime suspect is obvious. It would be the same man who caused domestic inflation here in the U.S. and stole the 2016 election from Hillary Clinton. That'd be Vladimir V. Putin. The Washington Post got right to it. Putin, they declared, is now weaponizing the Nord Stream pipelines. According to the Canadian ambassador to the U.N., Vladimir Putin has decided to use, quote, pollution as an act of war. Progressive Twitter strongly endorsed this conclusion. Putin did it. And that makes sense until you thought about it for just a moment. Vladimir Putin may be evil. They tell us that he is evil. 
But is he stupid? Probably isn't stupid. And yet, and here's the strange part, if you are Vladimir Putin, you would have to be a suicidal moron to blow up your own energy pipelines. That's the one thing you would never do. Natural gas pipelines are the main source of your power and your wealth, and most critically, your leverage over other countries. Europe needs your energy, now more than ever with winter approaching. If you can't deliver that energy, then countries like Germany have no need to pay attention to what you want. You're in the middle of a war, an all-hands-on-deck war, so you need all the leverage you can get. Under these circumstances, there is no chance you would blow up Nord Stream 1 or 2. Not now, obviously. In fact, it's so obvious that even our famously dim Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, seemed to acknowledge it. Sabotaging Nord Stream, he said today, is, quote, clearly in no one's interest. Right. But really only half right. It is true that blowing up Nord Stream does not help Vladimir Putin. He would not do that. Why would he? But that doesn't mean that other countries wouldn't consider doing it. They would consider it. And we know they have considered it because at least one of them has said so in public. In early February, less than three weeks before the war in Ukraine began, Joe Biden suggested on camera that he might take out these pipelines. Watch. If Russia invades, uh, that means tanks or troops crossing the the border of Ukraine uh, again, then uh, there will be uh, we there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We, We will bring an end to it. What do you, what, how will you, how will you do that exactly since the project and control of the project is within Germany's control? We will, uh, I promise you, we'll be able to do it. Notice how he phrased that. And he's the president, doesn't phrase things by accident, particularly when he's reading off cards. He didn't say, I will pause the delivery of gas from Russia to Germany. He said, there won't be a Nord Stream 2. We'll put an end to it. We'll take it out. We'll blow it up. How will you do this? He was asked. I promise you we will be able to do it. They thought this through. And yet those watching, very much including us, didn't take Biden seriously when he said it. This is the president who has declared climate change the most pressing emergency in the history of the world. This is the man who lectures you about using a wood stove or driving an SUV because of its emissions. This is the guy who spent billions trying to mitigate cow flatulence because methane. Would that guy really blow up a methane pipeline in the middle of the Baltic Sea? It was hard to imagine. That would be an unimaginably reckless act. That'd be the kind of thing you would do if you wanted to start a nuclear war. It would be insane. And yet, in retrospect, it's obvious they were thinking about this because Joe Biden wasn't the only person to suggest it. Toria Newland at the State Department said pretty much the very same thing. Newland is a lifelong war cheerleader. She worked to bring about the Iraq invasion, never apologized, kept going. She helped engineer the coup that overthrew the Ukrainian government some years back. So capable, clearly she's capable of anything. But environmental terrorism? Even for Toria Newland, that seemed too much, too extreme. And yet here she is in January. With regard to Nord Stream 2, uh, we continue to have uh, very strong and clear conversations uh, with our German allies. And I want to be clear with you today. If Russia invades Ukraine, one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. One way or the other. We'll stop Nord Stream. Now, looking back, those words seem chilling eight months later as natural gas pours into the Baltic Sea and into the atmosphere. So you have to ask, could the Biden administration really do something like this? 
We can't say for sure. We don't know for sure. We can tell you that close allies of the Biden White House believe they certainly did do it. Radek Sikorsky is a Polish politician. He's chairman of the EU-USA delegation in the European Parliament. He's connected. He's also the husband of regime stenographer Anne Applebaum of The Atlantic magazine. Sikorsky is so close to Joe Biden that he's got a picture of the two of them together in his Twitter profile. So when the pipelines blew up, Sikorsky responded immediately. And here's what he wrote. Thank you, USA. So once again, did the Biden administration really do this? It's hard to believe. Given that it's an atrocity, it's effectively an act of terrorism, we don't want to make that accusation. But we should tell you that, maybe not coincidentally, today a brand new pipeline was unveiled, a pipeline that carries non-Russian natural gas in roughly the same area as Nord Streams 1 and 2. This is called the Baltic Pipe. It was inaugurated in Poland. It will carry natural gas from Norway through Denmark to Poland and other countries nearby. And it's likely to do very well since now it has less competition. Making sense? What does the White House say about this? How are they accounting for what happened today? Well, they're not exactly enthusiastically denying responsibility for it. Instead, they're looking at the upside. Here's the president's publicist noting that the destruction of yet another energy pipeline is yet another opportunity for you to buy an electric car. Uh, as you all know, these pipelines weren't pumping gas into Europe at this time. Uh, NS2 was never operational, as you guys know. NS1 has not been operational for weeks because uh, Putin has weaponized uh, energy, and we have said this many times before. This just drives home the importance of our efforts to work together to get alternative gas uh, supplies to Europe and to support efforts to reduce gas uh, consumption and accelerate true energy independence by moving to clean energy uh, economy. Oh, moving to clean energy. Say the people who very may well be responsible for letting methane into the Baltic Sea and into the atmosphere at a scale that most people can't imagine. The people lecturing you about your SUV may have blown up a natural gas pipeline and created one of the great catastrophes of our time and its effect on the environment. If they did this, this will be one of the craziest, most destructive things any American administration has ever done. But it would also be totally consistent with what they do. What do they do? They destroy. These people build nothing, not one thing. Instead, they tear down and they desecrate from historic statues to the Constitution to energy infrastructure. And no one in Congress is trying to stop any of it. They're just preparing for the inevitable fallout. Tonight, the Senate just advanced a spending bill with $35 million for the Department of Energy to, quote, prepare for and respond to potential nuclear and radiological incidents in Ukraine. What? The spending bill also brings the total U.S. expenditure on Ukraine, the war, but also funding its government and energy for Ukraine to $67 billion on the eve of what could be a massive economic disruption here to our economy, $67 billion. How much is that? Well, it's more than Russia's entire military budget last year. And Congress is expected to fully pass the bill later this week with Republicans nodding along like the zombies they are. What will be the effect of this? Every action has a reaction, equal and opposite. Blow up the Nord Stream pipelines? Okay, we've entered a new phase. One in which the United States is directly at war 
with the largest nuclear power in the world. Doesn't mean it'll go nuclear immediately, but it does suggest there could be consequences. If we actually blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, why wouldn't Russia sever undersea internet cables? What would happen if they did that? What would happen if banks in London couldn't communicate with banks in New York? Just that one piece of it, leaving aside its potential effects on our power grid, but let's just say the banks couldn't communicate with each other for one day. What would the economic effect of that be? Oh, we would cascade downward into your house. We could have an actual collapse. We could wind up very quickly in third world conditions. Those are the stakes. Have the people behind this, the geniuses like Toria Newland, considered the effects? Maybe they have. Maybe that was the point. Now you have the uh, the rundown. Like I said, this was everything that we covered yesterday and some. So uh, what are your thoughts? Um, I'm going to have to be very careful what I say. And bearing in mind, Fox News with Tucker on it is one side of the story. And the truth always lays between two different versions of the same story. However, it's absolute madness to even think that Russia would disrupt that pipeline. Because what Tucker said at the start of that was was absolutely true. It would be the last thing that they wanted to do. They want to come back from this situation. They want to recover from the, the sanctions. And by basically destroying Nord Stream, it forces uh, Russia further east. It forces them to do their deals with China. Exactly. And ultimately, I think that's what the plan is. Yes. You, you want it's to not, drive. It's not Putin's plan. No, you you want to drive if you're if you're the Western power brokers. I'm not talking about politicians either. If you're the Western power brokers, then you want to follow what they surmised about in uh, what Zbigniew Brzezinski wrote about. They want to drive Russia and China together. Now, seriously, this is how they they think. They want to drive Russia and China together, and they want to create a war between the two of them. That's what they want to do. So, if you can have the two monsters in their their analogies, if you want, if you have the two monsters, what what do you do? If you got two enemies that you can't stand against, what do you do? If you're if you're these people, you turn them against each other, don't you? That's what you do. Well, you should you should always be aware of making alliances with countries that are more powerful than you because you become their vassal. And the nationalist ideals of of the Russians would not cope with being anyone's vassal, anyone's bitch. To coin a phrase, same thing with the Chinese. So, and well, maybe the Chinese people have been more accepting, but when you cross them and you insult them, then the, the, there's a problem, uh, and and there's there's no backing down from it. So, yeah, if they're forced together at some point, there will be a spark, probably engineered by someone outside of those two regimes uh, in a deniable op that will cause those two countries to to go to war with each other. But it's interesting, you, you, or Tucker said, that the US has given $67 billion to Ukraine, to this war effort. I think the Ukraine, are, uh, I, sorry, the UK I, stand at about... I do think, just, I'm sorry to interject, but I do think that his figures were a little low there because I think that's what they gave last week. Ah, okay. But I think the UK are currently about nine to twelve billion in military aid to the Ukraine, and this is the point I was trying to discuss with you guys just before the um, internet 
intermittent problems I was having. Must be Putin's fault. It's definitely Putin's fault. Here in the UK, we had a thing called the furlough scheme, where the companies paid 60% salary to people who were furloughed during the, the pandemic. Yeah. In the US, you had the Paycheck Protection Plan. Yes. And I think that came up with a total of $47 billion borrowed by normal people who just needed the money because they couldn't go to work and and so on. The plan was always to forgive that debt, and the banks were supposed to use a portal uh, through which all transactions on those loans were processed, which would give the government full visibility of how much money was actually paid back by working people on that amount. But the banks declined to use the portal and the US government is about to pay the banks back 47 billion but a portion of that has already been paid back by the people who borrowed the money by the individuals who borrowed the money so if they can throw 67 billion in a week towards ukraine and just write off 47 billion it just shows that they have either no concept of finances and how to run an economy uh, and the impact that will have on taxpayers going ahead for generations, not just your generation, but two or three further to pay that amount of money back in, or they're doing it deliberately to break their own economies. And that to me is, is what's really happening is that we are all being served by governments that are breaking our economies. Yes, it's being done intentionally because they need to bulldoze everything in order to bring in the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, which is where I want to go next. But I want Bruce to jump in there. Go ahead. So to kind of circle back to uh, what Tucker was talking about there, I, I'll, I'll present a two, uh, two theories, uh, if you will. I agree. It, it, this does not serve Russia at all to destroy their own pipeline. So it's possible that it could be a third party involved, not the US and not like Ukraine or anything, but actual eco-terrorists. It's plausible that, and I mean full-blown, because we've had eco-terrorists here recently, we've played audio of them saying they're looking to it's time for them to do actual bombings and and to actually target these kind of locations. It's, and, and it's a large scale making a murderer, you know, the TV series. These people are totally convinced that they're right. And we've seen in the past with uh, organizations like Greenpeace that have buzzed nuclear submarines with, with ribs, you know, rigid inflatable boats. Uh, they've done all kinds of stuff. Um, and one of them was actually sunk by the French off New Zealand. Uh, one of their, their ships has been attacked in the past. I was going to rather flippantly suggest that maybe Greta just dived in the water, yeah. swam down and, 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 and did it herself. But there is that element. And again, they would need the funding. They'd need the know-how. And all of those things could be provided for them by the deep state. The organization that is really behind this, the ones that have got their hands so far up Biden's backside, they're tickling his tonsils and working him like a glove puppet. Those ones could easily provide eco-terrorists with the means and the know-how to conduct that act. So, like I said, 
you've got one side of the news from Fox, you'll have another side of the news from CNN, yeah. and the truth lies somewhere in the middle. And yeah. I still don't know. I do not know. I uh, I cannot fathom yeah. it. There's, one thing there's I so do many know, ways you can go with this. Like we we were, we were talking about it, like four different scenarios last night, and each one of them are plausible. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but it's still all that aside. It makes no sense for Russia to have done it. No, it, it doesn't. And the other the other theory I was going to present is uh, this one is a little bit more for funsies. Uh, Karine Jean Pierre, um, you know, she was a diversity hire. Don't tell me she um, did it. Absolutely horrible uh, individual. Like it, and like at her job. If you, I, I don't know her as I don't know her as a person. I don't know if she's horrible as a person, but I know at her job she does terrible work. Um, perhaps. Uh, the, div- uh, the diversity hire was uh, pushed by uh, the previous Pisaki so that we would look back at Pisaki and go, she actually did a good job and and build up her legacy. That is true. Yeah, that is true. You know, uh, Marty, you, you mentioned um, you mentioned a few things there, and I, I thought I would just kind of tie all this together for you. You mentioned the banks. Right. The, the organizations that were possibly, you know, behind the, the, um, the pushing of the governments in certain directions. Right. And perfectly plausible. And you mentioned eco-terrorists, Bruce. Yeah, you mentioned eco-terrorists. It's a plausible explanation here. And I wanted to talk about central banks and, and the digital currencies. But unfortunately, we're, uh, we're actually we're out of time. But I thought I would play just this clip to kind of bring all this together. And also, Marty, you mentioned Greta. She just happens to have a solution for everything. Here she is talking about what we need to do. They know everything. (laughs) Yes. Here she is talking about what we need to do in order to save the world. There is this debate going on in, within the Democratic Party as, 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 as it tries to decide who to run against Donald Trump about whether or not to have a response to climate change that is very bold, that spends a lot of money to do these transformations, and this counter response, which is it's too much, it's too big, um, it's too expensive. Uh, do you have anything to add to these debates about, about just the, uh, in particular the idea that it's kind of too expensive to deal with climate change. I mean, it is the money is there. If we can save the banks, if then we can save the world. <laughs> I mean, you see, if we can just save the banks, then we can save the world. That links in back to my point that we were talking about in prep. Where I got to hear about the $47 billion on the Paycheck uh, Protection Program was on a Conservatives post, probably on Fastbook or YouTube or something like that. And it was being posed as a victory by the CEO of the Bank of America over AOC. Now, just because a Democrat asks the question how much money has actually already been paid back to you so we don't have to pay you that whole amount. We'll just pay you the portion that's left of that $47 The fact that she was stonewalled by that bank CEO is not a victory for conservatives. It's not a victory for Republicans. What it is, it's a, a loss for transparency, honesty, and a proper banking system. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because a Democrat or leftist asks a valid question doesn't mean it should be ignored. And that's what happened on the clip I saw today. 
So I've circled right the way around on that. That's where I came in when we started talking before we started to record. So I'm a happy man I've got there. Although I still have more notes on my um yeah uh, yeah on my notepad and I, next I, time. I yeah yeah I I'm sorry I just cannot let this one go this is Christine Lagarde the uh, head of the European Central Bank Marty are you sure are you sure you you don't want to you don't want to let the central banks go do you because if that's the we could lose our anchor we could lose we could lose all control we could lose well everything if we don't have central banks right. We'll lose everything. We'll lose it all. Everything will be in chaos and, and utter despair. No one will ever recover if they aren't there to, to save everybody and save the world. Where do we stand? We central bankers. We have been operating as a monetary anchor in relation to the commercial banks and the private money. If we are not in that game, if we are not involved in experimenting, in innovating in terms of digital uh, central bank money, we risk losing the role of anchor that we have played uh, for many, many decades. And we have historical examples of period where the central bank uh, monetary anchor was not there and that precipitated crisis after crisis. That certainly was the case at the time of the free banking in the 19th century. Do we want to go back to those days? Probably not. I would say certainly not from our vantage point, as a result of which we have to respond to the demand for those digital payments in order to maintain the role of anchor that we have uh, been playing uh, regularly. No, we don't want to go back to the days prior to central bank. No, we, we don't want to go back to those days. We, we don't want to go back to the days of just absolute financial chaos. We, we don't want to go back to that, do we? No, we don't want to go back to the days where every dollar bill or pound note was backed up by a gold reserve. We don't want to go back to the days when it was real money, when it had a value. Uh, or we don't want to go back to the days when we couldn't quantitative ease to just print more money. Which, by the way, the Bank of England announced yesterday that there will be unlimited quantitative easing in bond purchases for the foreseeable future. I, I don't know if you know what that means, but that's like that's not good. That that's literally that's that's gonna put a band-aid on it for about a week. That's bad. Yeah. As in they're they're literally they're monetizing as much as they that means they're gonna print, by the way, in layman's terms, they're gonna print an unlimited amount of money in order to purchase their own bad debt. It's it's a, it's a disgrace. It's happening. It people it aren't aware that it's happening because not enough people are looking for the information themselves or have bothered to dig as deep as you two guys have done, as deep as Ned has done. I talk about what I know and I take my news from many sources and look at what I think the most obvious answer is. What you hear from me is just my opinion and you are welcome to it. But we're in a bad state and we need we need everybody to to really realize what is about to happen to their wealth. Whatever they've managed to accrue is going to be taken away because dollars, pounds, yuan, rubles are, are going to be worthless because they're going to move to this digital currency and all of a sudden everything will be reset. It's the great reset. 
I can think of no better way to leave it than what you just said. It's a fantastic ending. I want to thank you for that. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. You know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, it has been a pleasure having you here this evening. Thank you for being here. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend. We will see you on Monday. Good night, all.